So um, I have never actually preached on the 4th of July uh, before. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years, and I've never p- preached on the 4th of July, partly because um, the 4th only happens on Sunday every few years. Uh, but the other reason is because Jan and I's anniversary is on the 1st of July, so we're usually either gone or on vacation or, or celebrating um, the, the week in between the 1st and the 8th, and if the 4th of July happens, I'm usually not here. Um, but this year, youth camp just so happened to be this week, and both of our kids were gone for the very first time. And so we celebrate our anniversary all week long. If you've never, you've never done that, I highly recommend it. I love my kids. I'm glad they're back. Five out of five stars. Send them away for a week. Okay? It's a lot of fun. Okay? But I, I say all that to say, I've never, I've never preached a 4th of July message. So depending on how it goes today, we'll see what happens in the future. Okay? Um, and and here's, here's where I want to start. I want to ask you to do something. And I want to ask you to do something very, very un-American on the 4th of July, okay? Um, You guys know the filters that you have in your heating and cooling system at home? Keeps all the allergens and pet dander and all that stuff from circulating all over your house. Um, Your HVAC system isn't the only thing with a filter in your life. Your brain has a filter in your life. It, 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 It allows certain things in and it keeps certain things out. It allows you to hear certain things and it allows you to ignore certain things. And I am, I'm just coming before you asking you today to take that mental slash political slash whatever filter you've got and set it aside, not forever, just for 35 minutes, okay? And then whenever we're done, you can pick up that filter and you can take it with you and you can continue because we don't really want to clean up after you whenever we're done, okay? So pick it up, take it with you as, as, as you can continue to live that way as much as you want. And, and here's why I say that. Um, I work ahead on my messages and this is not normal, but the message that, that I'm, I'm going to teach today is about six years in the making. Again, partly because 4th of July doesn't happen on Sunday and I'm usually gone and all that. Um, but I, I heard, um, I, I wrestled with some of this stuff, and I heard a, a message from a pastor named Joel Thomas six years ago that I was like, yeah, I need to take that. And I, I took his message, and I just put it in the crock pot. And so it's been in the crock pot for the last six years, and I want to take it out of the crock pot, and, and we'll, we'll eat on this a little bit at a time. But I knew the 4th of July this year was on a Sunday, and I knew I wanted to teach a message on being a Christian in America. And so, again, there's, there's a lot that's happened in America over the last six years, if you haven't noticed, right? And so, uh, some of you are going to hear some of the things that we, that, that we talk about today, and you're going to go, oh, oh, Tim's talking about, you know, and fill in the blank with whatever your filter is set to, okay? And, and so, I'm going to ask you to take your Republican, your Democrat, your Libertarian, your Librarian filter, whatever you got, Okay? <laughs> Your CNN, your MSNBC, your Fox News, your Newsmax, your red and yellow, black and white, I'm absolutely sure I'm right filter, and set that aside, okay? Just set aside for 35 minutes. And again, when we're done, you just pick that right back up and you continue to use those filters for the rest of your life if you want. That's your business, okay? But I, I think there's a better idea. I got a better idea, okay? Because the thing that, that unifies us is not how we vote, the, unify, the thing that unifies us is not what we think the problem in America is. 
The thing that unifies us is Jesus. Okay? And I understand, like some of you here today, you already heard Pastor Mark talk about this. I understand some of you aren't followers of Jesus, and that's perfectly fine. You're gonna, you're, the, the great thing about not following Jesus is you don't have to do anything we talk about today. Okay? And, and you're probably going to sit there going, that's exactly why I don't go to church. Right there. Okay? I get that. I get that. But I just want you to know, I'm just talking to Jesus followers today. That's, that's the audience. That's the bullseye. Because I believe Jesus gives us a better filter than all the filters we have a tendency to pick up. So Jesus followers, if you would, take all those filters, all those filters I referenced, and just put them aside because what we're talking about today has nothing to do with those, and it has everything to do with those. And I just, I, I don't think we'll hear what Jesus wants us to hear if we're trying to guess, what's he really trying to say? Okay, so, so if halfway through the message you go, I think I know what he's getting at. Let me just go from the very beginning. Let me tell you what I'm getting at. Whatever I say is exactly what I mean. That's what I'm getting at. Like, I have no hidden agenda. I have no secret message. You guys are such a great church that I don't have to come up with a hidden agenda or a secret message. I just say whatever I mean. And so far, you guys have let me come back pretty much every week. <laughs> And keep saying, keep saying exactly what I mean, okay? So it, whether or not you do that, I'll never know, but that's what I'm going to ask you to do. And I've waited six years to say this, all right? So here we go. Um, the thing that you and I love about the United States, at least maybe one of the things that we love the most about the United States of America is this right here, the Bill of Rights. And if, if you remember from history class in, in junior high or high school or college, wherever you learned about this, you know the Bill of Rights are the first 10 amendments of the Constitution that basically protect or guarantee your individual freedoms, your individual liberties and rights. Things like free speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, the, the right to bear arms. Those are the ones that get most of the airtime. But you also have a right to due process. You, you have a right to, to have have a jury trial by a jury of your peers. Um, you have the, the freedom from unreasonable search and seizure, freedom from cruel and unusual punishment, and probably everybody's favorite, the freedom from quartering of soldiers. Why doesn't that ever make the airwaves, right? Well, the reason it doesn't make the airwaves is because it's not as relevant today as it was when they were written. And here's an interesting question to talk about later today when you're blowing stuff up, Okay. Here's a question. If the Bill of Rights was written today, what would make the cut? Right? Like, I think all of us would say, number one, the right to free Wi-Fi, that has to be on there. Right? But after that, we go all kinds of different directions. Some would say free education. Others would say free enterprise. Some would say free health care. Others would say freedom from government interference. We'd have all kinds of different ideas of what should go on the Bill of Rights. If it was written today, it would look completely different. And here's the, here's the thing. The people who wrote the original Bill of Rights knew that. They were brilliant. They were brilliant. They knew that, 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 that as time went on, the specifics of living in America would change. And the Bill of Rights would need to adjust. So they came up with the Ninth Amendment. And my guess is that very few of you know what the Ninth Amendment is, but the Ninth Amendment should be your favorite amendment because the Ninth Amendment is the catch-all amendment. 
It's the just in case we forgot something amendment. Because our founding fathers knew future generations would look at what they came up with and they would say, well, like these aren't the only rights that U.S. citizens have, right? And they came up with the Ninth Amendment as a way to point out that there may be more rights that go beyond what's listed there. So here's, here's the Ninth Amendment. Here's what it says. The enumeration in the Constitution of a certain rights, the ones that we just talked about, shall not be construed to deny or disparage others or other rights retained by the people. That's an 18th century way to say we're not listing every right in this document. We know there are others that go beyond this. And if we were to rewrite the Ninth Amendment in modern language based on what's going on in our culture, and if anybody ever comes along and says, you don't have the right to do that, you just pull out the Ninth Amendment. And you say, actually, I do. Because our founding fathers put this in the Bill of Rights that aren't mentioned specifically. But here's the problem. And every parent already knows this. But if you give someone rights and it's not coupled with responsibility, things go south. (laughs) Right? If, If you give someone rights that aren't harnessed with responsibility, things just go really, really bad. Here's an example. Did any of you ever get the car keys taken away from you when you were a teenager? Anybody want to admit that in church? Yeah, right. Okay, what, what happened? Well, what happened was you were old enough to drive, probably. The government gave you a license to drive. Mom and dad gave you the keys to drive. But you came back late, or you disobeyed one of their rules, or you came back and there was a scratch all the way down the side of the car, or there was a tire on there that wasn't on there when you left. Right? Or, or there was a smell of alcohol on your breath. And, and what did your parents do? Your parents said, you had the right to drive the car, but you obviously don't have the responsibility to drive the car. And they took away the car keys. Or how about this one? I've, I've never actually seen this one. I've heard about this one. But did anybody ever get their door taken off of their bedroom? Okay, nobody raised their hand in first service either. Okay, I've never... I've heard of it. I've, I've heard of it, but I've never actually seen it. And I think it's actually backwards. I think you should nail it shut with them in there, but I digress. <laughs> <clears throat> but again, if you've heard that happening before, what happened? Well, you weren't responsible. And so you lost your right to privacy. Again, every parent knows this. The reason parents do this, things like this, is because they know individual rights must be coupled with individual responsibility have to have both. In a home where there are rights without responsibility, things go bad. In a nation with rights without responsibility, you get anarchy. That, that liberty without responsibility actually undermines liberty. And if everybody demands their rights without any consideration for other people, and they never take responsibility for the outcome of their individual liberty, everybody eventually loses their individual liberty. Which brings us to a really, really important question that some of you are already asking. The question is, why is there no bill of responsibility? Why is there no bill of responsibility? And here's why. Because the authors of our Constitution, our founding fathers, in the letters that they wrote to each other, the letters they wrote to their wives and and other literature that outside of our constitutional documents, they assumed moral guardrails. 
that would, that would guide personal responsibility. They assumed everybody understood. There's moral, there's ethical guardrails that we have to stay in between or we're going to run our country off the road. They assumed those things. There was a value system throughout the colonies. Now, they weren't all Christians, but there was a value system. They, they believed that they were accountable to God, which meant there was a, a national synergy around a moral code. Nobody believed, well, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, without any consequences. Nobody believed that. They believed, no, my individual rights are, I'm, I'm grateful for my individual rights, but I'm going to enjoy my individual rights with the entire community in mind, not just me. And again, you can find this throughout the literature of the colonial period, but probably the most famous example is from the preamble to the Declaration of Independence. You've heard this before. Some of you have it memorized because you had to memorize it in high school. But I want you to listen to it again and pay attention to how they connected the divine to the personal. Okay, listen to this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. You know what self-evident means? It means you're going to get to the end of it and it's going to be, oh yeah, that's obvious. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Where did your individual rights come from? Not the government. They believed it came from God. It came from their creator, that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. There, there was an assumed connection between God, creator, and individual rights, which means, don't miss this, they believed they were accountable to God for their individual rights, for how they exercised their individual rights as an individual and as a nation. So John Adams, uh, George Washington's vice president, second president of the United States, he was one of our founding fathers that was against slavery. And he, he actually wrote a lot about this. And, and here's one of the things that he wrote. He said, our constitution was made only for a moral. And moral for them meant that there was, a, there was a right and a wrong that was outside of themselves. They didn't get to choose what was right and wrong. There was, there was moral. There was, there was morals, right and wrong outside of themselves. And religious, which means they believed they were accountable to God. So a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other people. In other words, if there is no consensus of divine accountability, if there's no consensus of morality that stands outside of us, John Adams said, America, this experiment in freedom, will fail. It will not be able to get through that. We, we, we just give people individual rights, but there's no sense of individual accountability. This experiment in freedom will fail. John Adams said that hundreds of years ago. And here we are, July 4th, 2021. How we doing, America? How we doing? Here, here's how I think we're doing. And you might be surprised to hear me say this. You may disagree. And you know what? I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I'm convinced in America that our legal and political system is permanently disconnected from divine and moral absolutes. It's permanent. We're not going back. Train has left the station. We are permanently disconnected from this collective sense of divine and moral absolutes. One of the ways that the people way smarter than me talk about this is we are living in a post-Christian world. We're in a post-Christian nation. But 
That's, that all sounds like really, really bad news, but I still believe there's hope. And you know what the hope is? You. You. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a carrier of hope. And in our country, our conduct as Christians has more potential to bring about more change than any candidate we elect or any law we pass. I think you should vote. I think you should pay attention to the laws. But the only hope for America moving forward is the behavior of Jesus followers. And let me tell you why I think that. 2,000 years ago, we're going way back before America. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote letters to churches all over the place. Those letters got collected eventually, and they became books of our Bible. We call them books of our Bible, but they're actually just letters that he wrote. And in one of the letters, he wrote to a, 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 a region called Galatia, which is a Roman province full of Greek-speaking people. He was writing to Gentile Christians, which is you and I, unless you're Jewish. But we are Gentile Christians because there was some confusion around their relationship with the Old Testament law, with the Jewish law. They were being taught that they had to keep or follow the Old Testament law, the dietary laws, the sacrificial laws, the civil laws, all that stuff that Jews would know about. And Paul writes to them to say, no, 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 no. As a follower of Jesus, you're not accountable to all of those laws. You're actually accountable to a different law. And in explaining that to them, he makes a statement. He, he, he teaches something, I believe, that gives us direction in how we should respond. As Jesus followers, in a post-Christian nation that has permanently disconnected from a sense of moral and divine accountability, legally and politically speaking. Okay, And I don't say this because we're going to go force our beliefs on people. We're not trying to get back to the colonial days. But Paul gives us some guidance and how we're to respond with our personal freedom. Because when you realize you're free, people do this all the time. I did this. When you realize how free you are, most of the time we use our personal freedom for our personal benefit. It's why you got the keys taken away. Freedom! Whoops. Right? It, it, it's, it's, it's when you realize how free you are, the tendency is to be irresponsible with it. And Paul comes along and says, wait, 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 wait. If you're a follower of Jesus, and, and as a follower of Jesus, here's how you should respond with the freedom that you've been given. And I'm telling you, if just the, the 60 to 70% of people in America who claim some form of Christianity would do this, game changer. Game changer, okay? Here's what Paul says. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. We love that. All about freedom. Pass me a bottle rocket with a side of freedom, please, right? We love it. Here's the command. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Paul says, okay, he knows you. <laughs> he knows me. 2,000 years ago, he knew what we would be all about. He knew when you went away to college and mom and dad weren't paying attention anymore, you'd stay up late, you wouldn't do any of your homework, and you'd do all that stuff that you wanted to do throughout high school. He knew when nobody's looking, you'd do all kinds of things that people do when nobody's looking. He knew that our natural, selfish, flesh indulgence is to take our freedom and use it for our own personal benefit. And he says, wait, 
Jesus followers, that's not what we do. And the reason we don't do that is because you follow a man who didn't leverage his personal freedom for his benefit. He laid down his personal freedom for the glory of God and the benefit of others. And we follow his example. We allow him to live his life through us. We don't ask the question, what can I get by with? We don't ask the question, where's the line and how close can I get to it? Or is there a law against this? We don't ask that question. He says, no. Just imagine a day in America where just the Christians did this. He says, no. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, or instead, do this. Serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. Here's here's the thought. Nobody can make you do this. Nobody can make you do that. There are all kinds of laws in our country because there's such a gap between rights and responsibility. And so we have to come up with all these kinds of laws because people abuse their personal freedom. There is no law that can force you to serve someone humbly in love. So Paul says, God has called you to leverage your freedom, not your American freedom, your freedom in Christ to do something, not for you, for other people. And, and, and taking it back to what we're talking about today, as an American, you have a right not to. As a follower of Jesus, this is what you've been called to, to serve one another humbly in love. And then he takes us, one of the most common phrases in all the scripture, Old Testament and New, starts in Leviticus, Jesus uses it in one of the most important things he said, and then Paul swings back around to it 25 years later to say, this is the thing. This is the epicenter. This is what drives our behavior in serving each other humbly in love. He says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. You don't have to keep all those others. Keep this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Well, shouldn't there be more? No, that's it. Love your neighbor as yourself, that when you wake up in the morning and realize how free you are in America, you can say whatever you want, do whatever you want, go wherever you want, assemble wherever you want, you know, spend your money on whatever you want, vote however you want, you're free. But as a follower of Jesus, you've been called to leverage your freedom to love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine 24 hours Imagine 24 hours where just Jesus' followers did that. And this is why Paul is so brilliant. He's so brilliant. Because if everybody did that, there would be almost no need for any laws. When an individual, when a couple, when a family, when a church asks, how righteous can we be? Instead of, is there a law against this? When, when an individual, when a group of people, when a community asks, how loving towards each other can we be? All the fine print is irrelevant. I mean, lawyers would be out of work. The police, the police would just direct traffic all day because we'd all be going, no, you first. No, you first. No, you first. No, you first. You go. They just stand there the whole day waiting for somebody to go first. The court system would collapse. Prisons would empty. Because when you and I leverage our personal freedom for the sake of those around us, the world instantly becomes more righteous. If everybody did that, and you say, Tim, that's so far-fetched. No, 
That's basic Christianity. That's, that's following Jesus 101. You want to get deep? Do that. Wake up every single day and just love your neighbor as you love yourself. You think that's challenging? This next part's amazing. Because <laughs> 2,000 years ago, Paul looked into the future and he said, hey, 21st century Christian Americans, if you don't get this right, let me tell you what's going to happen. If you decide to, to leverage your, your rights only for you, if you forget you're a part of a bigger community than you and you don't leverage your rights for the benefit of that entire community, if you forget that you've been called by God to do unto others as God in Christ has done for you, if you forget all that, here's what's going to happen. This is amazing. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Let me ask you, in your experience with other humans, not animals, but in your experience with other humans, what kind of humans bite each other? Little humans, <laughs> right? Little, immature, baby humans, or crazy people, right? That's who bites each other. And Paul says, look, if you act like a baby, if you act like a little immature child, if you're so consumed with your own rights and your entitlement, you know what's going to happen when a group of people do that? You're just going to devour each other. And, and to some extent, this is what some of us believe is happening in our nation. We're biting and devouring each other because we are so immature and consumed with our own individual rights. Hey, if you, think, if you think our greatest concern in America is outside of America, China, Russia, Iran, whatever, you are not paying attention. Americans are America's biggest problem. Because we undermine. We undermine our own liberty when we leverage our liberty for us alone. And as long as it's my individual bill of rights and my right crush your rights, at the end of the day, what our founding fathers warned would happen will happen. We will undermine this experiment because that's what it is. It's an experiment in freedom. And here's the thing. <laughs> we, we have more rights than any other nation on the planet, any other nation in history. But apart from a national moral compass and divine accountability... We just bite and devour each other. And the church, the people of Jesus, the body of Christ, can do something about that. Not by becoming a unified voting block, but by becoming a unified obedience block and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We just wake up every single day and decide that's what I'm going to do yeah, I'm really frustrated about them and that and everything and I just want to pull my hair out because it doesn't seem like there's a candidate we're voting for. How does that stop you from loving your neighbor as yourself? Imagine a day like that in America. <laughs> okay, so, so let me give you four little statements, okay? And again, what, is it, what does a day in America look like? This? And I'm, 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 again, I need to give Joel Thomas credit for this. I'm putting my own spin on it, but here's what a 24-hour day in America might look like. It looks like this. Number one, do what's just, not what you can justify. Do what's just, 
not what you can justify. I'm, I'm not going to ask what can I get by with or you know, how close to the line can I get or is there a law against this? No, I'm, I'm going to ask instead, what can I do to help? You've heard me say this before. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? Some of you, you haven't said those words in a long time. So let's just say them out loud. Ready? What can I do to help? Husbands, make sure your wife's sitting down. And then just look at her. Honey, what can I do to help? Some of you are so good at this. Some of you're actually a model for me and how I'm supposed to love and serve my wife. How can I help? Teenagers, listen to the words that come out of my mouth. Teenagers, do you want more freedom? Do you want mom and dad to lighten up a little bit? You should go to your mom and dad over and over and over and over and over again. Hey, mom, what can I do to help? Hey, dad, is there anything I can do to help you today? What can I, you want more freedom, take on more responsibility. What can I do to help? And, and, and you know why we do that? Because when God looked down on our sick, sin, sick world, he asked the question, not what can, I, what can I justify? Because what he could justify is, I'm done. I'm out. He said, no, what can I do to help? And he sent his one and only son to die for that sin. And he's not asking us to die for each other. He's just asking us to love each other the same way we love ourselves. What can I do to help? Because Jesus followers don't look for a way to justify their behavior. They look for a way to do what's just. Number two, do what's responsible, not what's permissible. <laughs> do what's responsible, not what's permissible. If you aren't willing to take responsibility for the potential outcome of your decision... Don't make that decision. Let me say it again. If you aren't willing to take responsibility for the potential outcome of that decision, don't make the decision. That, that's what it means to be responsible because somebody will eventually have to come along and be responsible for your irresponsibility. It happens with individuals and it happens with nations. I mean, at some point, I don't know when, I don't know how, but at some point, somebody's going to have to do something about our national debt. Our collective irresponsibility can't continue and not face consequences. So let's just decide. As followers of Jesus, no, we're not doing that. You're, you're not going to hear us say, this is my right. You're going to hear us say, this is my responsibility. Because we do what's responsible, not what's permissible. Third, do what's moral, not what's modeled. Do what's moral, not what's modeled. Come on. You might not agree with everybody in your circle around a definition of morality, but you're, you're smart people. You know that immorality is undermining the integrity of our country. You know this. It's obvious. It's all around us, and we cannot afford to continue on the path we are on. So eventually, eventually, a generation just has to stand up and say, doesn't matter who's in office. Doesn't matter who controls Congress. Doesn't matter what's being modeled in our culture. For the future of our country, for our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, we're done taking our cues from them. We're going to do what's moral, not what's modeled. And, and as weird as it looks, as old-fashioned 
as it is, as prude as people make us out to be. Let's just stop buying the lie that I can do what I want when I want with whoever I want with no consequences. No, you can't. No, we can't. We're living right now with the consequences of another generation who believe that. So there are no consequences. There are consequences to continually doing what's modeled rather than doing what's moral. And then the last one, pretty complicated, just honor God. Like, just honor God. (laughs) And what does that mean? Well, it means every time you make a decision or how you live your life, what's most honoring to God here? And you know the funny thing is? The funny thing is, again, regardless of how much you know about the Bible, regardless if you've grown up in church or not, you know the answer to that question. Because it's self-evident. It's self-evident. And it points us back to our founder's belief that individual rights assume individual accountability to God. So honor God. You know how you honor God? You love your neighbor as yourself. Over and over and over and over again. Last thing, and I'm done with this history lesson, okay? This is, this is from John Adams again, okay? Um, he looks into the future, and he writes you and I a letter. John Adams died on July 4th, I think it's 1826, the same day Thomas Jefferson died. They were good friends, they were enemies, and they were friends again, and they both died on the same day. But John Adams wrote you and I a letter, and here's part of what he said in that letter. He said, posterity, that's you and I, that's us, future generations, People I'll never meet in places I'll never see. Future Americans, please hear me, posterity, you will never know how much it costs the present generation to preserve your freedom. (laughs) You'll read about it. You'll study in school. You'll see some movies, but you'll never smell it. You'll, You'll never experience the fear and the dread that we experienced. I mean, some of you have started a company Some of you have built a house. You've never started a country before. You've never built a country before. We we have no idea what it costs them physically, personally, what it costs their families, what it costs them financially. And John Adams says it. You have no idea what it costs us to secure your freedom. And then he goes on to say this. I hope you will make good use of it. Because if you don't, I shall repent in heaven that I ever took half the pains to preserve it. So I got an idea. Don't know if it's a good idea. But Republican or Democrat, far left, far right, those of you in the middle, we all have our unique views on what freedom is. The question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with your personal freedom? And are we going to squander it? John Adams said, look, if you think for a minute that these individual rights that we're handing to you can survive a nation that gives up on morality and divine accountability, you are kidding yourself. We created the document. We know what it hinges on, and you dare not turn your back on the divine or this experiment, and liberty will fail. And I realize we're not going back to a time when everybody in America was Christian. There was no such thing. But we don't need to. And we have no control over that. What we do have control over is those of us who claim the name of Jesus. We just decide 
to step up to the basic command to love our neighbor as ourself, and we wake up every single day grateful for the individual rights that we have and then leverage them, not for ourselves. We leverage them for other people in our community, the people around us, because Jesus gave up his individual freedom on your behalf. Jesus gave up his personal liberty in order to die for your personal sin. And as John Adams said, let's make good use of that. As an American, you have no law that says you have to. But as a follower of Jesus, that's what you're called to. So let's go love our neighbor over and over and over again. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, as we've already said today, as we've already sang today, thank you. Thank you first and foremost for the freedom that we have in you. God, thank you for the, the gift of the majority of us. The majority of us were born in this country. We didn't, we didn't get to choose. It was just a gift. It's, it's your grace all over us. And God, I, I, I can't speak for anybody else here today. But I would just like to be the kind of person that lives with my rights in one hand and my responsibility in the other. That I would make good use of the things that you've put in my hand, including my American citizenship. And ultimately, I know that my home is not here. My home is not America. My home is your kingdom. And I just want to be about bringing little bits and pieces of your kingdom to this earth. So would you teach me? Would you challenge me? Would you show me what it looks like each and every day to wake up and to look for people to love as I love myself? And God, if you would be so gracious, would you help us as a church, as a, as a group of people, to continue to be about that? You've been so gracious to us in the past, and we want to be good stewards of it moving forward. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for uh, the gift of being able to walk out of this place and to be able to go wherever we want to go and do whatever we want to do and spend time around whoever we want to spend time around. God, will we tie that? Would you help us to tie that to the responsibility we have to love our neighbor as ourself? And I ask all of this. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful 4th of July. Don't blow any fingers off, okay? See you next week. You're dismissed.